Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Schulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 7, Episode 13, The Slice Girls. Let's get this show on the road. <laughs> I could tell you weren't a fan of this episode. Oh, really? What? No. <laughs> I could tell watching the episode you were not going to be a fan of this episode. You knew. You already knew. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Okay, time for the final reminder. If you're listening to this on release day, tomorrow on December 16th from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Mary and I will be live streaming a festive baking competition between the two of us. Baking for the Archives where we are going to be baking and decorating some festive cupcakes live on YouTube. We're going to be fundraising for the Archives, which is one of the biggest queer archive in the world. And we basically want to help them with their goal to preserve queer history by raising $500 over those three hours. And you get to vote on the winner of the competition. And of course, the winner wins the right to feel superior about their baking skills. And the loser is going to have to record a dramatic reading of a supernatural scene. And anyone who donates to the archives gets to vote on what that scene will be. So make sure to go check out all the details at carryingwayward.com and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss out. And we have some special guests, perhaps, you know, who might make a surprise appearance. For now, let us do a little shouting out this week to Fuji Fee and Dabeem for their lovely reviews they left on Apple Podcasts. Again, we say it every week, but we mean that we appreciate these so much. They mean so much to us. Yeah, and we're getting to the bottom of all of them at this point. So if you want to make sure that we still have some shout outs to do, you can definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I guess I have to recap this episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited for you to do that. <laughs> uh, I guess count me down. Three, two, one, toss me the keys. We have the brothers taking up a weird case where some people got murdered, nothing out of the ordinary for their usual day-to-day. -day. Turns out they figure out that it's Amazons and the mayor of Sunnydale is their scientist to help them solve this. So he's just as annoying as he was in Buffy. Dean ends up hooking up with a woman at a bar after lying to her. And then it turns out she has his Amazonian daughter because they're Amazons. And the whole thing is just a lot of... Issues we're going to get to, but the long of the short of it is Dean has a kid, Sam shoots her, the Amazons get away, the end? Like, I feel like a more apt description of this episode would have just been saying the word misogyny like 12 times. I mean, it's a lot. It's going to be the theme for our discussion. So, I mean, we can definitely jump into the long game immediately. There, there ain't much else. Let's do it. <laughs> like, let's do it. We can do it. Perhaps unsurprisingly, this episode was written by Eugenie L Ross Lemming and Brad Buckner and directed by Jerry Wanick. It originally aired on February 3rd, 2012. So now in the long game, I do want to touch upon the road so far because we know then and there that this is going to be a Dean episode. You know, the montage goes through Dean losing Bobby and then losing his will to live and then questioning everything. We see Frank's speech about making yourself smile and then Dean forcing a smile in the car. 
I think from that alone, I was already set up for this being a really, like, strange episode. It was just like, oh, this is a lot of really heavy Dean. Okay. We also have one of the rare times where Sam is driving the car. I was wondering if there was more to it. It makes sense to think that Sam is in control of a lot of the stuff that happens in this episode. That's, um, putting it one way. (laughs) Yeah, that is definitely putting it one way. Yeah, Fluffy, you've got thoughts about it too. So the first thing that Dean does as he wakes up from, you know, his nap in the car is actually to take a swig from Bobby's flask. We've been driving home the point recently about the the drinking, and while this episode does sell us on the whole the flask is just a memento, there's a lot of mementos of Bobby's that he could be holding on to. The fact that he chose the flask says something. He tries to put it as kind of like, well, mine sprung a leak, and so there you go. Like, I'm keeping this one. Mm Mm-hmm. We get a sex scene in this episode, uh, which reminded me of, like, the big debate about whether or not, like, the show would, quote-unquote, allow Dean to not be on top back in season one with Route 666. And fun fact, same writers for that episode. In that one scene, all I could think about is, like, oh, they're not... Like, she's actively not letting him be on top, almost. Like, he tries to take over, and she's like, no, 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 no. Whatever was going on, there was definitely a lot of rolling around. Which seems inefficient, but I'll I'll just kind of, like, let them do whatever they enjoy. To each their own. So just a few episodes ago, we saw young Bobby breaking a glass of milk, and his father responding by, like, abusing both young Bobby and his mother. And it just tickles my brain that in this episode, we have children being indoctrinated into a cult, drinking glasses of milk. Like, I'm just amazed at the way that Supernatural seems to weave childhood abuse, like, into all of their stories. Dean has a daughter. Uh, She doesn't get to live very long, but she does live for a little while. She exists. She's real. She's his daughter. I really assumed we were going to get, like, the fake out and, like, there isn't a connection and that was the whole thing. So the fact they actually left it in somewhat surprised me. We get another weird instance where Dean says that like some papers moved, but he didn't touch them. And then last time he had said that his beer disappeared, but he didn't drink it. And this time it sparks like a really heated discussion about whether or not it could be Bobby. Am I supposed to believe that in this moment, like in this moment, it's very clear that they that like there is a moment where I think it's, Dean being very wishful thinking that it's Bobby. And given what we know, it likely is or could be. But like, for one thing, how quickly Sam goes to the EMF meter to like, verify it, like, he's hopeful too. Like, it's, what it really feels like is a fun concept for like, a like, plot point crammed into an episode where it didn't fit. So it feels like it was rushed, because I think if you keep doing subtle hints of Ghost Bobby, and then eventually, for whatever reason, the EMF goes off, and now there's like a reason to talk about it. But this just feels like wishful thinking from Dean, and then Sam going for the EMF seems wishful, but then he's super dismissive, like he never would have believed it in the first place, so why was he so like keen to grab the EMF and check right away? Like It just it feels really shoddy to me. But do you not feel like Sam would also be the kind of person who would who would take out the EMF meter and then be upset with himself that he didn't first look for power lines. 
Yeah, so that was the other side of it was like, is this Sam being equally as wishful and then like in a moment realizing like, oh, wait, no, I'm being dumb. Look at all the evidence around me that it's not the case. That is what I want to believe, but I don't believe it's what they were trying to get across in the episode with the writing. Well, I mean, he does say like they they do have a line for him that says like that it can't be Bobby because they want it to be. So it's clearly like a shared wish here. Or at least, like, the text seems to indicate that it is a shared wish. I don't know. I think if the scene had, like, two more beats to breathe, it could have been done a lot better. And in a way where I wouldn't sit here feeling so, like, this feels rushed. Because, like I said, I think the sentiment of they both wish for it. But Sam is the one who goes, let me check. And then has, like, the self-realization of, like, oh, no, I'm being a wishful thinker. This isn't how this works. And has to, like, disprove himself because, you know, reason over wishing despite their world being very the other way around most times. But hey, logic sometimes doesn't always make the most sense. No, it doesn't, especially not when it has to do with emotion and that kind of like wishful thinking. Is there supposed to be like, let's let's okay, let's play make believe here for a second. This is the ghost of Bobby. And this is our like our confirmation that Bobby ghost is around doing stuff. Are you implying that the missing beer was also ghost Bobby? I guess we'll find out eventually. <laughs> I guess we will all find out together, Drew. There, there is my new reality show: alcoholism or haunted. <laughs> I feel like that's a, not a bad premise. Actually, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> oh goodness! Whew. All right. So the speech that Emma gives Dean is like very tailored to Dean specifically. Like it really feels like Emma is talking more about Dean's childhood with John than like her own with the Amazons. She says like, my mother threw me into that place just like Dean's mother was a hunter and her deal with Azazel caught, you know, caused her death, which then caused John to spiral and focus on hunting um, badly, might I add. And she adds, and my father, and then, like, there's just this ellipsis there, and, like, yeah, we don't even need to mention anything more about John. Like, completely agreed, Emma. You and I, we're just same page. Again, like, the small little pearls of, like, world building in these this otherwise eh episode, like, that speech was well done. Uh, again, undermined by the fact that it's later revealed she was there to kill him the whole time. So how much was her just acting on his emotions and like, uh, you know, manipulating him? I think it was all her acting on his emotions. That's how I saw it. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're, so we are on the same page. Okay. Right. Making sure. (laughs) There's another heated discussion between Dean and Sam when they're in the car. And this time Sam brings up Amy. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit more uh, later in this episode. We will we will have to talk about that, yes. Do you remember how we recently talked about Sam going to Bobby with his concerns about Dean instead of going to Dean directly? Mm-hmm. Well, now that Bobby is gone, Sam has to basically, again, like we said, restory himself. And he manages to bring up his concerns to Dean directly. And he asks him not to get killed, to which Dean replies, I'll do what I can. Real uh, non-committal energy there, Dean. Like, I, again, appreciate that Sam is, like, learning. Like, he has realized that, yes, Bobby's no longer there, but he still has these things to say. That he, at this point, I I hope through learning and connection with Bobby and growth, 
he is making that next move, even if it's sooner than he would have wanted to, to be able to have real conversation with Dean. Dean is still the most receptive to this, and given the events of the last 24 hours, more so than usual. But you know what? This is I'm chalking up a win for Sam here. Before we talk about our theme for this week, I wanted to start off by talking about our format. So as everybody knows, we have two main segments on this show. We have story time, which looks at the story in story or from a Watsonian perspective, if you will. And we also have critical time where we tend to take a more critical approach to the episode or Doylean perspective. And we really do our best to stick to this format in part because Supernatural also does its best to stick to its format. But sometimes like it does deviate. And so we decided that we can also deviate every once in a while. So this week, we're going to be taking an almost exclusively critical approach to this episode through the theme of misogyny. I mean, I guess an etymology lesson here seems out of place, but like, do you have a history for misogyny? I'm actually kind of intrigued. Yeah, absolutely. Misogyny comes from uh, the Greek, and it literally translates to hatred of women. Oh, for fuck's sake. So I just have a question for you before we jump into this. Like, when you were watching this... Like, before we started talking about this, like, what were your impressions of it? Like, what stuck out to you? Like, what I, I want to know what happened in your head when you were watching this. I think a huge caveat for this episode, given that we are talking about misogyny and this episode's abysmal treatment of women in so many ways, that as a cis white man, I don't want to be stepping on toes or overstepping. The entire way through, it would just, like, felt gross. Sitting there watching it, there was a moment where I'm like, okay, no, like, I really understand this is going to be a shitty episode to record because Mary's going to hate this. <laughs> and I know how you get when an episode really takes you off. And I love those because they end up in great conversations. But I know how, like, hard it can be to get into them. Peek behind the curtains, the way we do our note taking. We kind of take turns, like, you know, taking the lead on an episode and, like, jumping in first. And I was like, no, there's no way I'm starting this conversation. One, that's problematic, <laughs> in my opinion. As a cis white man, let me take over the conversation about women and misogyny in the world. Let me tell you how we're going to talk about this. <laughs> let me mansplain this episode to you. <laughs> exactly. I was just disgusted by the episode. I genuinely felt the treatment was horrible. Like, I feel like I can be an apologist for the show sometimes. Like, even when I know it's done something wrong, I can usually go like, well... Maybe they were going for this and just missed the mark. I, I can't see what they were going for here. I also have a lot of trouble with this episode. And I have some thoughts about where they might think that they were going, but it just comes off wrong. Now, keep in mind, this was 2012. So we're talking 12 years ago now, almost, by the time this episode is released. So uh, this was pre-Me Too. I don't think this would have flown past Me Too or after Me Too. So I don't know. I really don't know what to say. So let's just jump in, I guess. I have some thoughts if you'd care to hear them. <laughs> I would love to. I do want to start off by making a bit of a blanket statement about like the quote unquote definition of woman here in this in the episode of Supernatural, but also when we're going to be talking about it, because the episode itself of the show makes it very clear that in its view, 
women are women when they have a vagina and a uterus and when they can have babies. It's a very narrow definition that doesn't include like infertile women, trans women, old women, uh, and it includes people who would rather not be included in that too. So like in this episode, all the Amazons are also seemingly straight, cisgender, thin, white, able-bodied, fertile women. Uh, anything outside of that just doesn't really exist according to that world building. Or at least if it does, it doesn't fall within the category of woman. Like throughout the episode, they get painted in this awful light like they aren't human. And it's made clear, but they don't even get the treatment that other monsters have gotten. They're treated as like less than monsters. It's like Supernatural has built this world where like you have hunters, you have monsters, you have innocent people. And then like today we're introducing a fourth category of like these Amazons that are less than human, less than monster, but they're women. I do want to mention from the get-go also that like so much of this episode is seen through a white supremacist lens. Like there are no black or indigenous Amazons in the episode. And also, again, like they don't seem to be choosing black or indigenous men to have their babies with. The fact that they don't like that all the victims are white and they explicitly state that they are looking for like superior men to mate with for their like successful and powerful. Like it just it's. I don't understand how you could be that ignorant to your own <laughs> racism. It's a lot, Drew. It's like, it was like so much. It's it's white supremacy with the side of eugenicism, right? Like it's it's like, wow. Had they tried to make it worse, I don't think they could have done it. And it says something when a show that already is lacking severely in its representation of non-white people, that they could somehow make it worse. <laughs> because here they call it out, but like in a way that makes it so obvious that it's, it comes from bias, right? It, it openly comes from bias. And like you said earlier, like it makes it very, very clear that Amazons are not human, right? Like we get dialogue and quote unquote science, uh, you know, just for a little taste of the, Discours du jour, if you would like to make a link to that, uh, showing that their DNA is like not human, even though by definition, one of their parents is human. Like even if the, the mother is not human, the father is clearly human, according to the own lore of the show, yet their DNA is not human. And I'm like, I, I, I don't want you to do science. Like that is not how science <laughs> works. Like, please, please don't. But yeah, nevertheless, the show just goes with it, right? And it reminds me of how many people don't see women as people, like they don't see women as human. And it gets worse, of course, if like your identity also intersects with like being black, being indigenous, being disabled, trans, etc. Like the more removed you are from cis straight white man in terms of your identity, the less you are seen as human. And in this case, it's very clear that these seemingly cis, straight, white, thin, able-bodied, fertile women are already not human. Imagine the rest of us, right? It struck me how odd it was that they took such effort to make sure we knew they were, again, quote-unquote, not human. 
despite, as you pointed out, one of their parents being blatantly human. And, like, this is one of those moments where I can, I can like, see the inner working of a writing room of, like, well, if we're going to have the hunters kill these things, we have to make sure they're not seen as human. But they, like, way overstepped that and just made it really blatant that, like, they did not care about women. And then even made the killing of them, like, so much worse somehow by dehumanizing them so much. Yeah, I think you've got a very important word here when you say dehumanizing, because I think that that's exactly what's happening throughout the episode. That is entirely the goal of it. And what I do find particularly interesting in this episode is that, like, the only women that we do see are the Amazons. There are no other quote-unquote, human women in this episode. They're all non-human women. And this is probably one of, like, the, if not the episode where we see the most women with speaking roles. So, like, to use the episode's language, like, there are literally no human women in this episode, just man-eating monsters, which in so many other contexts would be so great, but not here. Nope. Uh, so something else I find very strange about this episode, this entire thing, but to focus on one little part, is how easily killed they are. Just a single gunshot. Like, because again, if they were human, a single gunshot would make sense. But while affording them virtually no chance at winning against a hunter equipped with a gun, yet we're explained that they are so powerful and smart and perfect warriors and, you know, have been fighting hunters before. This isn't their first time meeting a hunter. Yet they go into these fights with, like, a knife, no protection, no armor. Like, the only training is the fact that they're supernatural. And they get taken out so unceremoniously in these like bleak moment these like bleak gunfights that just seem so out of place for the show i'm so glad that you're bringing this up because i didn't know if that was me being sensitive but i did find that like it was very gruesome like i so supernatural has done more gruesome things and they've veered into horror in, in some episodes, right? So, like, we we can agree on that. But I did find that, like, the two kills were particularly, like, violent and gruesome and just, like, like they made me shudder in a way that murder doesn't usually make me shudder on Supernatural. I think the reason is, and this is one of the few things where I think I can kind of see what they were going for, but really fucked up, by dehumanizing the Amazons, which in effect dehumanizes women because the entire episode's misogynistic view of women. It wants us to feel the same way we would feel when they kill anything else in the show. It's, oh, it's just a thing that they have to kill because they're hunters. But they then craft these scenarios, the two killings we do get, where they are like, they're, they're just, they're not like fights. They're just like, oh my god, I have to kill this thing. Let me fire one shot at it. The whole thing's over. Let's linger on the scene a bit too long to show this thing. Even I'm doing I'm not saying thing. This person who has been murdered, I, I am sure there is some realm in which 
they their thought process was like, okay, well, if they're not humans, we're allowed to kill them. And then it just did not translate in any way in the scene. And it just made it look like a murder. Like Sam was shooting at women? Like, because that's kind of how it felt this entire <laughs> And like, just to, to branch off for a second, like it, the first one is in self-defense. Like he is attacked, he pulls a weapon, shoots her, and there's even a moment where I feel like Sam is surprised that it worked that well. Because nothing ever just gets shot on this show and dies. Unless they're human. So, good job at, you know, dehumanizing the women by making them monsters, and then treating them like humans, only to have them brutally murdered for literally no reason. Thanks, show. And all of that to eventually get to killing Emma, which, like, you would hope Sam would have a little bit of a quarrel with. Like, even in, like, the mindset of, like, everything we've seen up to this point in the show, and even having to fight a previous Amazon, like, it, I, I was, at the amount of me that was shocked by this episode, for so many reasons, but in addition, the fact that they actually killed her, that she was actually Dean's daughter, and Sam had, like, no qualm doing it. I honestly, I was also really disturbed by how they chose to portray pregnancy, childbirth, and child rearing. Like, and yeah, for sure, like things had to be tweaked, like in order to literally speed things up, right? And Amazons aren't human. They've been very clear about that. But those things like are still portrayed as like no big deal. And we know that that's not true. We know that like pregnancy, childbirth are like major medical and or like health and life events in someone's life. Like, and, and we also know that they are particularly dangerous for Black and Indigenous folks due to systemic racism in healthcare systems. And like beyond that, it even shows them giving birth like while being told that pain is an honor, which like it's, it's not. Like there's a really important disparity in the way that men and women are being treated for pain, be it acute or chronic. And like, again, this disparity is worse for Black and Indigenous women. This image of a woman being told to control herself during childbirth, like because pain is an honor, was nothing short of violent to me, frankly. Look, again, this is an area I don't think I have as much to share and do to personal experience and connection to. Like, I'm fully understanding and, like, on your side. Uh, but, like, I'm taking a bit more of a backseat to this one. But, like... Even I can see how fucked that is. Like, it's incredible how far the show can go, making women feel like monsters and non-human while still being so sexist and, like, uninformed and how they can simultaneously put women under a microscope and treat them as lesser, yet still highlight all the male-centric views that are so clearly wrong. Like, it's... Literally, this is like having your cake and eating it too, but the cake is misogyny and it's more misogyny on the side. Okay, so you're talking about male-centered view. I, I think I'm about to blow your mind, just saying. Did you know that the way that people give birth today, which is like lying down with feet up in stirrups, is actually because Louis XIV liked the view? Excuse me, what now? And honestly, this is 100% true. Uh, I thought that maybe it wasn't because it sounded so absolutely out there, but it is true. Uh, before this era... 
of Louis XIV in France, people gave birth like in an upright position. So like sitting or squatting or like on, on, on your knees. But once he started having like his wives and girlfriends give birth that way, it sort of spread and we still do it this way today in hospitals and everything. So like, even though for millennia, we didn't do it that way. And even though there's studies, modern studies showing that giving birth, squatting or kneeling can actually make labor go faster and easier. Like we still do it this way because some king in France a couple hundred years ago liked the view. So to come back to this episode, like even giving birth like in an all women's society is male centered. I hate this. I hate this so much. I am I I don't even understand how to f- like express this any further. The way that women have been marginalized in healthcare and in medicine is truly astounding. Astonishing. Like in yeah. I, some of the studies I have read on that subject are still mind-boggling to me. Like, the fact that I only learned in the last, like, four or five years. For listeners, I'm sure it's, like, one of those things you hear in, like, pop culture enough of, like, the like the signs of a heart attack kind of thing. Yeah, that's a male heart attack. They are different in women. And the last thing that I'm going to say about this episode is that it really, like, equates women with baby makers, which I find, like, which, no which is incredibly reductive in so many fucking ways. Simply put, every aspect of this episode that they looked at is worse off for it. Women treated as monsters, those monsters made to somehow be weaker and less threatening than anything they fought before, despite being warned how dangerous they are as a species, and even, like, dip their toe into, like, the brothers' bullshit between, like, Amy, like, just only goes to add to how, like, fucked up this episode is. And... Even if we weren't, I don't think it was even something they needed to go back to. Like, I think the whole Amy thing was just like, as poorly as it was handled, it was done. To rehash it in this already dumpster fire of an episode is just like the final, like, bird dropping on top of the, like, dumpster fire that we already had. I have one last thought, actually. I lied before. I have one last thought. <laughs> it's about how the Amazons are being depicted as a cult. Like, it's it's more than just a vampire nest, right? Like, it's a cult where they're being indoctrinated. Like, they're branded, they're treated like cattle, etc., etc. And it doesn't... There, like, there doesn't seem to be any real relationships between them. Like, there's only hierarchy, which when we've seen social organizations of monsters before on Supernatural, there seem to be like relationships between people or between monsters, I should say. And again, I, I want to remember that this was made like in 2011, 2012. And I wonder, you know, we were talking about what could they possibly be saying with this episode? And I wonder if this isn't some kind of like wannabe edgy commentary about feminism because like the amazons in this episode but also in mythology are like basically a blueprint like a very exaggerated blueprint but they're a blueprint for radical feminist practices and so i'm here thinking like is this episode telling us that feminists are men hating men eating monsters like is that is that what they're trying to comment on like i just i i'm not sure but 
maybe it is. Like this seems to be coinciding also with like Gamergate, <laughs> if we remember that. And so I'm like, is this what this is about? Is this about ethics and game journalism? Like, is this, is this? I can believe that because the writing quality of this episode, the production of this episode, feels like everyone in that room was on board with that thinking. Because that's the only way this is getting made. The bar door swings open. Our hunter walks in and grabs a seat at the bar. Looks knowingly at the bartender. Who slides over the usual drink. After taking a fairly heavy swig, the hunter speaks. I'm done. Screw this entire thing. If I get hit on by one more bloody hunter, I'm going to start hunting them instead. Do you have any idea how hard it is to do this job as someone female presenting? It's bad enough that most equipment for this job is not exactly manufactured, and sold at your local corner store, and it's all made by a bunch of men for other men. I still have no idea how a bandolier is supposed to be worn over tits. Fuck the patriarchy, and fuck this boys club. The hunter slams down her change, nods to the bartender, then leaves. Still having trouble getting that bandolier to sit right. So earlier in this episode, I mentioned that Sam brings up Amy during his heated conversation with Dean in the car. He says, like, what did you say to me when I was the one who choked? What did you say about Amy? You kill the monster. Which, like, oh my god, there is so much to unpack here. Because if you remember correctly, I said that I thought that Dean uh, killing Amy was a mistake in terms of, like, creative decisions this season. Especially, especially the way that he went about it. And this is still a topic of conversation within fandom. Like, this is something that people reach for when they want to talk about, like, the darker side of Dean or when they want to make a point about, like, his brutality. So it still has repercussions, I guess. To be clear, I wasn't in fandom at the time of release of these episodes. And so I really can't speak in certain terms about this. But I can only imagine that it upset a lot of fans, even at the time. Supernatural fans aren't known for being quiet, <laughs> just in case in case you didn't know that. So I, I wonder about this episode because it feels like it was written in part to like, quote unquote, even the scales between Dean and Sam by like having Sam kill someone who is important to Dean in response to like Dean killing someone who was important to Sam. But it's just so bizarre to me and like, I don't, I have so many questions. Like, was this always planned in the season? Or like, was it in response to fans being upset? Because we're going to find out very soon that Supernatural can change and undo entire storylines in response to fan reactions. So like, what, what exactly happened there? And again, like in line with our misogyny theme, like, you know, this idea of like, I killed a woman in your life, so you kill a woman in my life because they're like interchangeable. Am I right? Like, it's just like, do we need to do this? Do we like, is this really, are your women characters really just cannon fodder? Like, is this what we have come to? I said it before, I'll say it again. Like it, it, it had no place in the show. Like the Amy decision was bad enough. They walked far enough away from it that I, like, it, it was not forgotten, but it was at least in the past. 
and now they're dragging it up only to remind us how shitty it was. And I guarantee you there'll be no follow-up to this episode or conversation ever. This week we have a message from Kayla. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us that recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Mary and I will be answering the question, when do you consider your fridge to be empty? For our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Talk. Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. All right, so I will read this here. Hi, Drew and Mary. I have to admit the conversation regarding paratext and the Star Wars Legends verse this week was absolutely fascinating. Drew only mentioned it offhand, but I sped to Google. What do you know? Not only did I find something, but I found a legal document about paratext that discusses the Star Wars monoverse. I thought you both might find it interesting. Drew, the Star Wars content starts on page 24. In addition to your question, yes, Legends does technically count as paratext. I hope you guys enjoy this. Carrying on, Kayla. So I'm just going to read a very short excerpt of it so that we know kind of like what we're referring to here. So the document is called Media Paratext and Constitutional Interpretation by Benjamin J. Priester. And on page 24, as we've been told, we have... The collapse of the distinction between text and paratext is even more acute in Star Wars, because franchise messaging over the span of many years was at best inconsistent or confusing, and sometimes even deliberately conflated the two categories. Interestingly, the internal policies at Lucasfilm did not waver. The Star Wars movies, and later the Clone Wars, created by George Lucas, held the position of text, while all other Star Wars material was paratext and accordingly subject to being ignored, overwritten, or co-opted by Lucas at any time. I'm really glad, one, uh, for your message, Kayla, and letting us get to this conversation, because this is such an interesting world that... I got to be a part of growing up and got to see what many consider to be the turning point. So like it was always kind of considered that anything in what we call Star Wars Legends, this like outside of the original trilogy and like official products was canon. But even though we knew there were some amounts of inconsistencies or things that didn't line up and it was always sort of said like well sometimes you know what there wasn't like a, a an overhead system telling everyone what they could or couldn't write um in this time there was actually a canonical series that led to Chewbacca being Bigfoot and his corpse being discovered by Indiana Jones after crashing on earth uh, I believe it was at the time of the Disney acquisition of uh Lucasfilms and Star Wars they basically just like outright said it. If it is not this selection of media, it's fan fiction. It has no bearing on the, the larger canon. They have gone ahead and pulled a lot of the legends into the canon by making certain things official or like writing it into existing material. I find that so crazy that they had this ambitious open world. Anyone could write a Star Wars novel if they were you know, approved and that novel could contain anything 
And it all sort of just had to work. And sometimes you have to sort of play the line of like, well, is this a story or is it canon? To have the company just go, you know what? No, no, not canon. We're done. Go away. Bye. Like, could you imagine if Kripke decided to reboot Supernatural and just said, everything past season five? Fan fiction. We're doing season six my way now. I mean, listen, 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 Linda. (laughs) Oh God, no. What did I do? (laughs) To a certain degree. (laughs) Isn't that true? Oh my God. (laughs) I got so much flack for saying that the Winchesters was basically supernatural fan fiction on TikTok when I said it. But I still stand by that. This was... Supernatural fan fiction. But yes, Kayla, thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. And honestly, like, I'm not super well versed in like the the politics of Star Wars, but I know that 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 thing kind of like had a big impact in in the Star Wars fandom. There's now the Winchesters. Eventually, we're going to get a cursed reboot, you know, like (laughs) it's going to be one of those things. And like, then where is the canon, really? Because even in the Winchesters sometimes like we like they explain it really really well but like it opens up possibilities in the canon world that weren't quite 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 there at what at what point does somebody get to say like this is canon this is not and for supernatural who would that be who would the authority be on that is my question i'm sure somebody knows somebody must know this so if you know please let us know or let me know i want to know <laughs> For a long time, and I feel like the the feeling has, like, waned to and fro a bit when it comes to George Lucas and his estate and their treatment of the franchise. And how sometimes he's the villain because he, you know, like, everyone talks about, like, the re-editing of the original movies to have more CG that he couldn't do at the time because it wasn't possible and it, like, made them worse for no reason. But then you have people who, like, admire the like world he created and the show bible he put together for the movies that eventually led to a lot of the original legends content and even some of the video games that still hold up miraculously to this day and like i don't even know where the sentiment is right now with george lucas and his involvement at all with the company with his story with his background and like part of me is kind of just really okay with that and I think that's kind of how I'm, I treat Supernatural is like, yes, it was Kripke's baby. Yes, he started it. But at some point, like, and again, for some people, that is their deathbed. For other people, it's a choice. They have to leave this thing to the next. And at some point, it does become public domain. At some point, it does become a story for everyone and not something you as the original creator can control and police. And I think the most important part of that, like, again, to use Star Wars as our core example, is I still love some of those old stories and comics. I adore some of the non-canon events that have been popularized throughout the years. Heck, they even just a few years ago released a series of animated shorts from a bunch of different Japanese studios. And it was, like, blatantly stated at the beginning, these are non-canon events. They're just cool mini-stories with great visuals. They were amazing and I love them. I look forward to season two in a few months. So you know what? I don't care who's in charge. If we're getting good content. I read fan fiction like obsessively. So like it doesn't really matter to me. But I do kind of wonder. I still wonder 
I still wonder. Kayla, thank you for bringing this up, and thank you for letting me get a little Star Wars uh, nerd hole here on the on the show, more so than normal. So, Drew, what's your reflection and call to action this week? This episode was garbage. I hated it. Everything about it, it was bad. It made me not feel good watching it. Like, there was no excuse. So the only thing it made me want to do is just, like, continue to be critical of media to not give people a free pass. None of this... It was a different time bullshit. I know you and I are very good at that, but like, I'll be very blunt. I had a conversation about current events in the world with someone recently, and I left that conversation feeling like upset that they were clearly wrong and being very xenophobic about everything. But like, realize I kind of let them get out of the conversation with some of that like, oh, it's just a them thing mentality. And I'm like upset with myself that I let that happen. And there will likely be a round two of this conversation at some point. And I'm not going to go easy on them. I'm going to make them hurt. Because some people need a wake-up slap. That's my call to action. Is to not give people leeway when they are being shitty. Well, I mean, this episode also infuriates me. So I really I really get that. Um, in so many different ways, too. Like, it's just all of it is awful. But I, I guess it makes me feel called to just, like leave some episodes of TV unwatched. Like, I, you know, some episodes, like even in the series that we do love, um, we have to deal with uh, the fact that some episodes are just going to suck no matter what. Um, and I guess like my personal way of dealing with that is to just not watch them. Good for you. Honestly, good for you. Some episodes can be left behind. <clears throat> Star Wars 1, 2, and 3. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Mary Vigou and myself, Drew Schulman. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, L, Jeremiah Thomas, and Simone. This week, we'd like to thank Kayla for the message. You can go to carryingwayward.com for the links to our merch store and all of our socials. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron or a coffee subscriber. You can also leave us a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple Podcasts. Carry on our reward, friends. A little while ago, my answer would have been different, but lately I've been really concerned about food waste and I'm trying to waste as little food as possible. I'm still not great at it, but I have had to make adjustments because I finished one of my contracts. And so right now I'm working on only one job. And so means have been less than in the past few years. So I've had to make do with stuff. And um, so now the fridge is empty when there's, honestly, when it's really empty, <laughs> which is bad, but like not empty, empty, but yeah, right. But but like it's empty when there's no more um things that I can grab to like make something quickly or like, cause lately also what I've been trying to do is like cook in ba in batches and bulk. And then that way it's easier to just like reheat in the air fryer and just like, you know, 
Um, and even for dinners, like I'm finding that I don't actually really love to cook during the week. So it's kind of nice to make a batch of stuff and then just kind of like eat the leftovers for a little while. And so we've been doing that. It's also much easier in terms of like cooking and batch prepping, because then you just buy whatever protein is on sale that week with whatever veggies are on sale that week. And then you just make a big batch of that. And then boom, you're, you're, you're done for at least a good part of the week. Right. 